From Bias to Equality podcast is brought to you by the CEO magazine, Holman Web Lawyers, and B2 Buy. Hello, and welcome to my podcast, From Bias to Equality. I am your host, Sandra D'Souza. Thank you for joining us. Today, we are going to do something different. From time to time, I will be interviewing experts who can share their knowledge and insights around achieving equality and diversity. So today, we are going to have a conversation with Irene Tividad. She is the president of Globe Women Research and Education Institute. As the president of the Institute, Irene convenes women leaders annually for the past 33 years at the Global Summit of Women on best practices in advancing women's economic progress. Through Corporate Women Directors International, where she conducts pioneering research, which results in 34 reports on women board directors globally over the past 26 years. She also presents women CEOs to students at top universities globally through Legacies of Women Forum. She also integrates economic equity issues in international forums, including OECD, APEC, T20, W20, G7 Advisory Council, United Nations, and World Bank meetings. The first Asian American woman to lead a national political organization in the US, where she was elected chair of the National Women Political Caucus in 1985. She also served as chair as the National Commission on Working Women from 1989 to 1998. A former board director of Sally May Corp, she was a commissioner on the National Association of Board Directors Blue Ribbon Commission on Board Diversity. Her recognition includes being awarded the Jean d'Honneur by decree of President Macron in 2021 for her global work on behalf of women. She also has the Trailblazer Award by the Huffington Post in 2015. She was selected as one of the women worth watching by Diversity Journal in 2012 and named one of the 100 most powerful women in America by Ladies Home Journal. With all of that, I would like to welcome Irene. Hi, Irene. Thank you so much for joining us here on the podcast today. Well, thank you for having me all the way from Washington, D.C., Yes, that's right. It's um, and here I am in Sydney, Australia. So I love the fact that from different parts of the world, we're having this conversation about gender equality. So let me get started um, with your impressive background and work that I've just read out and and the organisations that um, you know you're you're with. You have been involved in advancing women's leadership both domestically and internationally. And so can you share with us what sparked your passion for promoting gender balance, particularly in leadership and on corporate boards? It wasn't like one moment in time, you know, a moment of epiphany. Uh, It was more like a progression, uh, like a trend in everything that I did. Um, I'm an ex-academic and my uh, doctoral dissertation was on women's slave narratives. I mean, who does that? (laughs) Who looks into that? Women's slave narratives, wow. Uh There were 120 that were written by slaves who escaped from the south of the United States to the north, and about 25 of them were written by women. 
And so I had to argue for it uh, with the committee because they said it's not literature, it's history. And I said, well, but you said Jonathan Edwards' confessions are history and literature. So why not? And they said, yeah. well, the quality of the writing. I said, mm, different language. Uh, so, uh, so it's sort of, that was what I focused on, women writers. And then when I moved from um, teaching to administration, I became head of something called continuing education, where the majority of my students, about 3,000, were women who wanted additional pieces of papers. Uh, because women always feel they have to have more credentials in order to look legitimate. Mm. Um, yes, that's right. And then on the side, I was organizing political organizations as well as professional organizations. And so it's sort of like a trend in my life as opposed to just one moment in time. It was the mm. commitment that took over. I gave up academia when I was elected head of the National Women's Political Caucus. And I had made a campaign promise that I would leave New York, my home, to go to Washington if elected, not quite understanding what that meant. So I left the security of academia for the hurly-burly of politics, national politics at that time, um, for greater visibility of the causes I cared about. Uh, and I haven't regretted any of that ever since. Um, in the political organization that I headed up for many years, I wanted women to be in charge. And that has sort of stayed with me over all these years because there are not enough of us in charge, not of countries, not of companies, mm -hmm. not of educational institutions, insufficient numbers that reflect the majority, frankly, that we are. And so that's been a lasting commitment. We have to be on the boards. We have to run the companies. We must run countries and states. And it's just not enough to be workers and to be middle managers. If we are not in charge in decision-making roles, then we can't impact significantly decisions that affect our lives in every arena of public life. I, I, I mean, I completely agree with you. And that's the whole reason why I wrote my book um, from bias to equality, just the research is just not having enough women in leadership roles or, and, and in board roles and in C-suites. And, and when we were, when my team and I, when we've been through the research and the stock exchange with the listed companies, and it's just less than 5% of companies that have that representation. And you have been doing this work for so long, um, as I mentioned, <laughs> you know, with your- 40 years. Summit. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, are you seeing any changes in this landscape of gender balance on corporate boards? I mean, are they changing? You know, I mean, it's still challenging because I, I you know, we just talked about the stats, but do you see any changes? Are we making at least a little bit more progress? Oh, yes. I mean, it's not what we want. We're not a parody globally. But yeah. And I think one of the biggest drivers are the laws, um, the quota laws that were instituted. Mm. So even if a country didn't have a quota law, it started other countries, companies thinking as to where are our numbers. 
And also the reason we do, we've done so much research on women on boards, I wanted counting to happen. You cannot measure progress if you don't count. And so we provided the count early on for countries that hadn't even looked at those numbers in the past. And up till now, we're still doing it for countries, for regions, comparing uh, for um, specific industries. So for the next one that's coming up uh, for the Global Summit of Women in Madrid in 2024, we're going to look at women board directors in the 500 largest energy companies in the world. And the reason wow. I chose that industry is because energy is the spine of business going forward. We're going to have to figure out new alternative sources of energy because of climate change, because we don't have time. And so I want to see where are women in the leadership of those companies. So that's why we're doing that. And then when we were in Dubai last May, we looked at yeah. women on the boards of the Middle East, North Africa, Turkey region, uh, and to look at it comparatively and to also see what have what have they been doing as, as countries, you know, in terms of calling attention to it, pushing for change, adopting initiatives like quotas or others, other initiatives like what Australia did. Um, yeah. So it's a commitment that really huh, underlies everything that I do. Um, I think, you know, because now I'm much older, I'm very conscious of time and whatever I have left, I, I'm in a hurry and I'm not waiting. I'm not going to listen to just words. So just, just on that, you know, your commitment and driving this change, it, it, it's, it's really impressive. I mean, you started when nobody wanted to talk about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know when I, mean, I first, you know when I first came yeah. to Australia, nineteen ninety nine, I did a report on women on the boards of Australia's largest companies. That was yeah. our second or third report, uh, and I remember being there, you know, releasing the report in this forum. And having AMP as our supporter at that time, I was so grateful. Um, but, you know, we did Japan, the first one on Japan, the first one for Canada, uh, Australia, um, and I'm forgetting the other countries. But anyway, we started out country by country and then, start, and then began to do region. And then we did a whole series on the 200 largest companies in the world as ranked by mm -hmm. fortune so we could track, you know, over the years, uh, yeah. those 200 largest. And so, you know, it's something that I deeply care about. And the fact that I have served on a corporate board for mm -hmm. eight years, and now I'm on several corporate advisory boards as well, it made me realize just by looking around, oh, there are not many of me. Um, so, you know, it's sort of like, it's not just a commitment. I see it. I see yeah, how it works yeah. or doesn't. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it's, it's, um, 
it, it just you just wish it's not so challenging you know you just somehow think that I've been in the space for 20 years and and I guess um you know you, you look by the way Irene <laughs> incredible for your age but I'm already feeling like I'm running out of time you know we're in 2023 <laughs> and, and I'm just saying and that's why I just you know, no don't don't, don't even I'm double your age so you know don't even talk about that you know um I a long time ago I saw this phrase every leader tends to be an optimist you have to think that it's going to be better around the corner and so that's what drives me even though you know it's very Sisyphean for every roll up the hill we go down as in my country the United States where we have lost the constitution, the, the guarantee that was provided to us by the Supreme Court many moons ago when I was young and marched for it, our reproductive rights. Yeah. Uh, and now we're also worried that a law that we call affirmative action that guaranteed equal access to every arena of education will spill over. And it's beginning to happen already mm. to the workplace. Um, and these are two things I fought for when I was young, marched for, testified for, um, lobbied for. So I remembered I was at the summit in Bangkok um, when the Supreme Court ruling came down. Yes. Yes, I was there. And I was I by myself. Yeah. And I was, I felt, I felt alone. And all you could do is cry. Yeah, yeah. I know there's there's that's there's a little bit of the feel, not a little bit, but this is this feeling of we're going backwards again. Um, yep. certainly on the personal aspects, and just don't want that to happen in the workplace. Um, and so, do you feel though, especially I guess the kind of reception I've received from the book. Uh, the business leaders were actually were, were keen, you know, the business leaders I'm interviewing for this podcast for the ball are happy to share and are proud of, of that. And I know it's still a small group, but it's men or women, it's not just women. Are you seeing that change that more and more businesses and government are receptive of your work? Uh, in some countries, uh, you're fortunate in Australia your stock exchange, which has many companies as its members, uh, took the lead, if you will, in ensuring gender equality, uh, especially on boards. But it begins a discussion, a conversation, if you will. And I think that is happening. Unfortunately, here in the US, it takes crises and disasters, if you will, to make companies pay attention. And so, you know, the Me Too movement has been uh, mm. instrumental in making yeah. companies uh, pay attention to gender relations in the workplace. And also where are the women? Um, yeah. The uh, injustices against black people in this country that spawned Black Lives Matter made companies pay attention to race so different aspects of diversity, whether it's gender or racial, coming to the fore because of bad things that happen. Sometimes it takes that to make companies listen, but they are beginning to listen. And in the area of climate change, they were there. 
In fact, many times I said, why is it that companies paid more attention or earlier attention to environmental impact and climate change than to gender equality? Why? Is you know, because they have metrics, yeah. they have budgets allocated for climate change mitigation and environmental impact. Why can't you have targets for women on boards and in senior management in the same way that yeah. you would target yeah. change in other arenas with actual budgets, metrics, and uh, guidelines for doing so? Um, so I think they're beginning to listen. Um, and there's nothing like competition also uh, to great. make companies also accelerate what they were thinking of and actually putting it in place. So in countries where there are quotas and then they release the report, you know, I do a top 10 usually because it's always good to see who's at the top, you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, when I was, yep, in, no, I get it. <laughs> yeah. So they don't want to look like we're bad for women. And especially if your competitor company is mm. lauded for doing well um, in terms of women. So whether it is branding, whether it's competition, I don't really care anymore what triggers companies to act as long as they do, then I'm grateful. Do you know, um, and if you don't mind me doing a little plug for, for Elect Stars, that's the reason main reason of why we're doing what we're doing is to to not shame the companies who are not achieving it but to highlight the companies sure. who are achieving it and then getting more and more companies saying we, we need to do it because they're known to be women friendly and I've also spoken to investors who say we prefer investing in companies who have either women CEO or CFO have you know at least 25 percent of women on boards and in C-suite teams um, uh, and so, you know, with a women board chair, like that's sort of like the criteria. What Alex Stars is about, and, and but you know, if that's been yeah, what I call shareholder activism through investors. Yeah, is fairly recent. Uh, here in the U.S., we've had several investment funds, especially BlackRock, which is the largest globally. Mm. Uh, yeah. the CEO of that sent letter to all the CEOs who are in their portfolios and said, where are you in terms of board diversity? How many women, what are your plans for doing so? How many people of color? Um, and so that's been pretty effective, having several, not just BlackRock investment funds asking those questions. However, in my very divided country of the United States, there are state treasurers, because they manage pension funds, that yeah. are now going after those investment funds, saying, we're going to pull out, you know, no. you keep insisting, oh, yes, oh, yes, and that's huge. But it, isn't this amazing, the lengths yeah. that yeah. people will go to in order to somehow negate what needs to be done? Uh, what mm. what progress, you know, we thought was so amazing, you know, to have as our partners investment funds. And so then yeah. to have states led by Republican governors, their state treasurers who run pension funds are now going after 
what they call mm. woke investment funds. <laughs> I'm not a fan of that uh, word. I hate that to... word. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just been I don't know like um, trying to do something good and that's now been branded woke or as as a derogatory word, um, which which is really disappointing. Because you know, and 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 I can harp on and, and keep going. Like we say, you know, you've been in this doing this for forty years. It's been challenging us enough, and we're still not at parity. And every step forward, there are you know, the, there's pushbacks on it, and it's trying to bring us back um, two steps, which 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 makes it even harder and 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 um, sometimes soul destroying. Um, I mean, do you have the moments like if, if I ask you like for, for every year you've been working on the global summit? I mean, we tell us, I guess, um, what are the highlights that you've seen um, through companies or the work that you want to share with us, like the the, the impacts, the significant outcomes um, from the summit? Well, there are plenty. I mean, it's it's hard to enumerate. There are companies that are trendsetters, if you will who take very seriously and who have comprehensive approaches to gender equality, not just on boards, but on developing senior talent. Because if you don't have them in senior management, women, you're not going to have them on board. So to create that pool is really critical and to call their attention to that. um, It's I run an annual colloquium on global diversity in New York, and it's the senior diversity. They're called chief diversity officers um, or people managers at the highest levels. And because of the recent affirmative action ruling of the Supreme Court and our fear of that spilling over to the workplace, some companies are beginning to think about changing language you know, you're talking about woke. They're talking about maybe we don't call it diversity. Maybe we just call it inclusion. Maybe. And it breaks my heart because there's nothing wrong with that terminology. And then, yeah. And so I mentioned this because it's where we're headed, uh, possibly. Yeah. Uh, In the U.S. That the commitment may still be there for many companies, but that fear of litigation or possible new Supreme Court rulings making affirmative action also not applicable to the workplace will make companies pull back a bit or change language so that you sort of, you know, I don't know, hide what's needed under more soft or acceptable language. And when you do that, you also, there's a possibility of dampening commitment because Mm. in order to move the needle, you need the commitment, not just of people at the top, but all the way down, you know, to the actual workers, to the middle managers who often are the ones who have to implement. So that's what I fear, but yes, there has been progress. You have, you just have more. You have many more women in the workplace. You have more educated women. You have uh, you have laws and policies in place uh, that companies and other institutions try to implement in order to arrive at parity. Um, they're not always there, um, 
one of the examples I always give us a best practice. Oh, shoot. I just forgot the name. Australian <laughs> bank, Australian bank that reached 50% parity in women in management during their 200 year anniversary as a bank. Um, you know, this Westpac. Uh, yes. <laughs> but what I love was the commitment over a 10 year, it took them 10 years, but they had actual targets. They had two CEOs in succession following, you know, as opposed yeah. to the normal practice, if there's a new CEO, you dump whatever the other one did. No, no, no. It continued and they reached the targets, you know, within the date that they said, but it took 10 years. And I tell companies, it does take time, but you have to have a whole plan, you know, yeah. with targets and initiatives and compensation and all the things to make people at every level of the company move forward yeah. in the yeah. same direction. Yeah. yeah. Well, so that's the best and, practice. And yeah. And Westpac is one of the biggest bank in Australia. So if they can do it, and 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 shift that Titanic, you know, into, you know, to to have that parity representation, then then any organization can do it. And I then, was there when the they announced well. it. Yeah, well, I was there when they announced it, and I was very proud. And I'm not even Australian. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> no, because that's quite an achievement, and they did it so intentionally, uh, and yeah. that's really what's different, you know. Yeah. Not just yeah. sort of whistling that hopefully it wouldn't tell you. No, this is our target. This is our goal. Everybody's goal. So and, anyway. And do you know, and Irene, that's true because that's, the, that's what I also got from the interviews for my book, that the CEOs were committed to it and, and, and it was all part of from starting the top, the commitment from the board. Um, they are committed as CEOs and then they empower their leadership team to, to roll it out to the rest of the organization. They put it into their strategic plan and that was their vision and their mission and, and it was communicated throughout. And that, that was certainly a commonality across all of them um, that I've interviewed. And, and that, that's what it takes because you can't just have what I call pinkwashing and say, yeah, yeah, we're into it. This is what Oh, there's doing. a lot and of then, that and too. Not actually, yeah, yeah, yeah not actually doing it. You have those. But there are others yeah. who are, you know, really committed. The problem is that when a CEO moves on, you hope that the one who follows continues. Yeah. And that's yeah. that's a tricky part. It's sort yeah, of like is tricky. heads of governments, you know, what's put in place when a certain president or prime minister is there mm. disappears if the one who succeeds is from another party or just thinks that, you know what, I gotta do better and just erase what was there before. Um, yeah. So you keep hoping uh, that the commitment remains, but you know, in the end, it remains to people like us to keep pressing, to keep yeah. alerting those in charge in whatever form we can do it uh, that, oh, excuse me, here are some of the ways you could advance, advance yourself while advancing others. So, yeah. you know, when I was in a country 
who shall remain nameless. And the women were coming up to the microphone saying, oh, this is terrible. My government doesn't do this. My company doesn't do that, blah, blah, blah. I said, you know, we have to look at ourselves first. We have to begin with ourselves. You can't envision change without seeing yourself as an agent of change. You know, of course we want laws. Of course we want programs and policies from corporations. But in the end, we too have a role in that. You know, mm -hmm. I said, it doesn't even have to be very big. Just bring some yeah. other person along. Yeah. So, you know, I always say to women, we have to begin with us. It's very good advice, actually. Um, it, you know, it has to begin with us and we have to be um, and find champions as well for change with with the leadership. But I want to, you know, I could keep going forever, but I do want to um, ask you about the uh, stock exchange because it's part of the work of ringing the opening bell at various stock exchanges worldwide. Can you tell me more about this um, initiative and the message that you're trying to send to the business community? Well, it began in 2006 when I uh, opened NASDAQ in New York. And I had invited about 120 women, uh, CEOs, board directors, very senior execs. And I saw how excited they were. And I realized they'd never been invited. They've never mm. been there. And at NASDAQ, you get to have your photo taken at the studio, you know, with NASDAQ written. And when I signed, because you sign when you do that, I looked up and in New York, on Times Square, you see the NASDAQ uh, yes. picture. And I saw yes. it and I go, oh my God, it's a bigger deal than I realized. <laughs> 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 I saw myself signing, you know, and it's all wow. over Times Square. So yeah. when I saw that, I go, they've never been asked. So if we're not there, it's as if we don't belong. And so I started going systematically, Toronto Stock Exchange, Johannesburg Stock Exchange, Istanbul, Paris, Bourse, your stock exchange, Sydney, yeah. wherever I was. I did Bogota Stock Exchange, Ho Chi Minh Stock uh, Exchange. Oh, yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Including, <laughs> you know, Zurich Stock Exchange, Swiss, all of those, Frankfurt, yeah. um, major markets. Because women, optics matter. If we're not seen, it's as if we don't belong. And so I want women to be part of a business tradition like market open mm. so that we mark women's achievements in business, in economics. Um, and now when I ask a stock exchange, everybody says yes, because if they say That's no, right. I will go to the media. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it is, it is good. It, and I never thought of it that way, but you're right because, you know, women don't get invited. No. Um, you don't see, Once you don't in a see while, if they're part yeah. of a company that's doing an IPO, yeah, yeah they're there, yeah. but not as a group, not in the numbers. And so I now make it a point. I mean, 
we opened the Dubai Stock Exchange. I know. We and opened, stock exchange there. Yeah, yeah, we opened Tokyo Stock Exchange and they never had women. It was the first, it was like first, first, first of everything. And so the women who were there, the Japanese women board directors, CEO who, CEOs who were there, that was important to be seen. Just the picture alone was important. Yeah. Um, and it was in the newspapers. So that's one of the ways you impact. So whether it's research, whether it's convening women, whether it's doing business traditions like Market Open, I do what you have to do in order to show that women are in charge, even if there are not enough of us. That's, um, I, I, I really commend you. I've never even thought about the, the, the significance of, of, of that. And, and, and you started in 2006, which isn't a long time ago when you think about it. And yet that was lots of firsts. The first time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it is incredible that mm. but once i realized what it meant to the women and what it meant in terms of the message we're trying to send and also uh in the countries where i do this i often do a um a session afterwards on corporate governance and the numbers the women themselves who have achieved in business don't know yeah, yeah. how many how many or what the status is of women on boards in their own countries or how does my country compare to, some, to another in the same region? They don't know. So I informed them, we talk about governance. Um, and it's always, how do I say this? It's heartwarming when you feel like you've made an impact on that score, mm -hmm. you know, you're yeah. sort of teaching. Yeah. I think of each global yeah. summit of women as a kind of, giant classroom on globe, what global means in a real way. Um, I call it economic literacy by introducing topics that even women of achievement may not have thought about or uh, have heard about, but not in the detail that they should. Um, so usually I can feel when, I, I know that sounds funny, I can feel when I have the crowd. I can feel when they're engaged, uh, when they're yeah. learning and the buzz, the buzz that I hear. So it gives me joy, um, kind of a sense of satisfaction. I remembered in Sydney, there were two ministers from um, uh, one of the Pacific Islands, two Pacific Island nations. And they were seated like in the hallway. And I said, how are you guys doing? How is, you know, what do you think? Yeah. And one of them said, I didn't know I had to have an elevator speech. I didn't know I had a session on branding, on personal branding mm -hmm. that they went <laughs> to. You know, so to, to have government ministers say, they I didn't know I well. had to create one. Yeah. So, you know, it's like learning at every level you can think of. Yeah. And I love that to have that opportunity to provide that, to give that platform. Yeah. That's, keeps and that's me why going. I come. That's why I go to. I've been going to the Global Summit. I think I started um, almost 10 years ago. And yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it's different. It's different every time. But at the same time, it's also, I, I see the similar faces with the groups of women and we're bonding this um, friendship 
through this network, you know, around the world with, with very impressive women who attend the Global Summit of Women and hoping to um, um, encourage more to come to the one in Madrid in, in next year in 2024. Well, I so, hope um, so. Yeah. You know, Anne well, Sherry. <laughs> yes. Anne yes. Sherry's <laughs> first summit was in 1998 in London when she was CEO of the Bank of Melbourne. Then she became CEO of the Bank of New Zealand, then the CEO of Carnival Australia. Whatever hat she wore, yeah, I would. I saw her often uh, at the summit, and actually, she's on our board. Um, and I'm just so proud of all the achievements of the women who are what I call repeaters, veterans, mm -hmm. I call them, and they come. <laughs> so I asked Anne one time, I said, Anne, I'm so glad you're here. How come you come often? She said, it's soul food. And I got it. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. got it. That is true. Yeah. Actually, that is very true. I do now. I'm going to call it that as well. Um, so I, I, I have to now ask you the last question because we could talk for hours, but I think, you know, it's one of those things we need to wrap it up. Um, so the last a question, which is the same question I ask all of the interviewees, is what advice would you give to a CEO who's just starting out towards gender balance in their company? Stay the course. It takes time, but you have to lead it. And then have people be accountable for making it happen. In other words, you can't just say, do it, give them incentives, give them compensation, give them ideas for how to accomplish it through the people you designate to be in charge of it. But stay the course, don't give up. I love that. Thank you so much, Irene. Appreciate you making the time all the way from Washington DC to be on this podcast. And, um, and I look forward to My seeing pleasure. you at the summit. Thank you. Thanks, Irene. Okay. Thank you for having me. Today's episode is brought to you by our wonderful sponsors. Firstly, we're sponsored by B2Buy. B2Buy is your trusted business buying platform that simplifies and automates your buying process, helping you buy smarter and faster, giving you greater visibility and value. With 100,000s products in one place, B2Buy is passionate about connecting diverse suppliers with corporate buyers, so you can create a more inclusive business environment and buy better with www.b2buy.online. Our second sponsor is Holman Webb Lawyers, an award-winning and dynamic full-service Australian law firm with offices in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, and Adelaide. Not only do Holman Webb offer comprehensive legal services, but they are also a proud recipient of the LX Star, recognizing their commitment to achieving gender equality and leadership. Discover more about their services, initiatives and industry-leading insights at www.holmanweb.com.au. Lastly, our sponsor The CEO Magazine is an iconic, global media brand that inspires and promotes excellence within the business world. It is a source of information, inspiration and motivation for the world's most successful leaders, executives, investors and entrepreneurs. Go to www.thesiomagazine.com 